know.com clarity about reality alhamdulillah was salatu was salamu ala rasulillah we are going to be covering from events that have occurred from the 11th of jumad al-akhirah to the 11th of rajab of the year 1436 this corresponds to the month of April 2015. In this month, I wanted to look at some of the things that have occurred. The most important things that have occurred have been a number of natural disasters, as they are phrased and then the continuing situation in Iraq and linking this uh, together. The first incident we want to look at is the 3rd of April, 2015, which was the, what is being referred to as the Sinai insurgency. The Sinai insurgency. Now the Sinai insurgency has to do with the fact that it's been claimed in the press there is now an affiliate of Al-Qaeda in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. What they are not telling you, though, which is unfortunate, is that the Sinai situation has not as much as people think to do with Al-Qaeda. And here is why. The Sinai Peninsula, historically and geographically, belongs to Arabia, or the Arabian Peninsula, which is today erroneously being called uh, the Saud Kingdom. If one looks historically from the past 4,000 years up until the 1800s, the Sinai Peninsula has been part of Arabia. The Arab tribes that inhabit the Sinai Peninsula those Arab tribes are directly linked to the Arab tribes in the eastern, or excuse me, the western portion of the peninsula that's facing the Sinai, and not the Kinana. The majority of Arabs of Egypt are Kinana, with a small section of uh, Al-Azd and others. The majority of those in the Sinai are not linked necessarily with the Kinana, they are Arab tribes that were there before the great Arab migrations in the time of the Prophet Muhammad They were there previous to that time. In fact, located in uh, Arabia, because the Sinai is part of Arabia, is Mount Sinai, which is where Nabi Musa received the Torah tablets, as well as Median. Median, where Nabi Musa fled to, away from Egypt is in the Sinai Peninsula. Sina is not part of Egypt in terms of politically or culturally. It was absorbed into Egypt by the conquering uh, power of Muhammad Ali Basha, the great Macedonian war general, who would come down, sweep, sweep from Albania down into Egypt, took over Egypt, and then also broke from the Ottoman power base. So the Sinat, the Arabs of the Sinat 
are not the Kinana Arabs of Egypt, nor the Kinana Arabs of Libya. The situation in Sina is less to do with a so-called insurgency and more to do with long-term cultural issues over the absorption of Sina. Number one. Number two, it's issues to do with the fact that these Bedouins, these conservative Bedouins, are also very angry with the continued increase of tourists into their areas that aren't respecting their peculiar cultural traditions, their um, way of life that they have been living for quite some time. The vast majority of Sina is uninhabited. And unfortunately, there have been cases where Israelis have used Sina uh, to go to the beach and sunbathe topless and sometimes completely nude. Filipinos have gone there for purposes such as this. There have been orgies and other things. And so the Arabs of the Sinat are not looking for some super Islamic state as has been put, in, put, in the cro put across in the press. Rather, they're looking for a much bigger issue, which is to do with regional autonomy because these are people that do not see themselves linked with the Egyptian government. There have been constant problems whenever they've been in the military because they see themselves as a separate entity from the military. Not just any Bedouin Arabs, but Sinat Bedouin Arabs. They do not see themselves uh, as part of sort of a wider nationalistic Egyptian government. And this has been the problem. They have not submitted to communism. They have not submitted to socialist uh, indoctrination. And this is going to be a problem for the future. Now, are some of them involved in sort of uh, Al-Qaeda, Al-Arida, and other groups? There are some. There are some. But the overall message of Sina is not that. The overall message of Sina is not Al-Qaeda. It is a much wider issue. And until that is resolved, the issue of Sina will continue. Also, on this date of the 3rd of April, you've had a natural disaster with regards to chickens. Some 150,000 chickens were culled in Burkina Faso because of the bird flu scare. Now, those of us that lived in the Anglosphere during the time where the bird flu, bird flu scare reached its apex and then started to taper off, which is 2011 and onwards, remember the mass culls that had to be done. In the late 90s, those of us that were in the Anglosphere remember seeing uh, the charred carcasses of animals on television reports that had to be culled and destroyed during the foot and mouth outbreak. We remember this because it had to be done and, and we were told that these animals were carrying this contagion that could represent something that could destroy the food chain that people eat from in the United States, Canada, and other places. Burkina Faso is now facing this same situation where they've had to destroy their chickens. Doctors, animal doctors, have brought up something that has not been previously discussed in the news except sparingly, which is by having different animals living in close proximity to one another, the droppings and the bacteria from those animals mixing can often lead to situations such as this. The Chinese who have chickens and pigs housed in the same areas and within proximity of each other in pens and cages, 
leads to a lot of these things. And then you have human beings living next to them. And this causes another problem, which is um, zootic bacteria, which is picking up diseases from animals because you're in close proximity to them all the time, not necessarily cleaning the pens of the cages, but actually living with them, intermingling and mixing with them. And this is a calamity that is not going to go away because sanitation in some of these places, because they're not looking at sanitation the same way that the Muslims do. And so because of that, the washing of the hands and istinja and the cleaning of, of oneself, these are not being given any great importance other than the most rudimentary of fashion fashions. And that is, that is very unfortunate because we can only expect things like this to increase. On the 8th of April, we have an explosion after a fire at Dragon Aromatics, which is a chemical plant in Fujian in Southeast China. 1,500 tons of liquid nitrogen caught fire and exploded. And 14,000 people were evacuated. At these chemical plants, people have to store these dangerous and flammable materials in different places. And often people living in residential neighborhoods close to these areas have no idea what's at the chemical plants or the warehouses. They just, they have no inkling of what is going on. And as the cities grow in size, residential neighborhoods will be brought closer and closer to originally what were industrial estates or these facilities that were far from the cities. With the expansion and modernization of China, with the urbanization, the forced urbanization of China, and long-term goals of making sure that China becomes the superpower. With the continued expansion, it is only going to become much more obvious. And these type of incidents are going to become, unfortunately, more frequent because as you build up a nation to become a superpower, the same maladies that the United States suffers from as a superpower are the same maladies that the Chinese must suffer from. So now the Chinese are suffering from this natural disaster, but they're also suffering from other natural disasters, such as the calamity of uh, hyperobesity. Previously, not a problem at all for Chinese people. But the hyperobesity has become something that has now captured the mind of Chinese people because they now have some of the most obese men on the planet. There have been specials, shows. The Guinness Book of World Records has had entries from Chinese people who are the most obese. Uh, heart disease, previously unheard of, because Chinese people are now abandoning a diet that often had noodles, seaweed, and many things, and now they're going to a diet of processed foods, a diet of carbonated drinks, Pop-Tarts, Cheerios, which in sparing amounts are not harmful, but when they become the mainstay of someone's diet, over time, these break down and destroy your body. One only needs to look up Things such as hydrogenated soybean oil, glucose, high fructose corn syrup, high fructose syrup and corn syrup to find out 
what the effects of these three sugars have. Sometimes all of them entered in combination in one soft drink or in one cereal. One only needs to read upon this very, very briefly to understand what damage this does. One could also look at a documentary called The Bitter Truth About Sugar, which I would recommend for anyone because it exposes one of the greatest calamities in the the food industry and how companies are protecting these large organizations that are putting high amounts of sugar into foods and then people pour out the cereal into their bowl and then go and get cereal and sprinkle that cereal over the cereal that already has three different types of syrup in there. The effect that these sugars have on health, weight, brain function, blood circulation, heart, lungs, kidneys, how the liver is unable to insulate, or excuse me, it's, it's unable to filter all of the things that are coming at it from this blitz of sugar that people are having every day. And some people think that it's part of a great day to have one of these breakfasts, excuse me, Some people will think it's part of a great day to have one of these um, sugar-coated breakfasts. And they'll have that in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, without any balance of fruit or veg to level things out. Small amounts of water. People will normally wash down a breakfast like this with a high-fructose corn syrup juice drink. And over time, this will cause damage. Now, the Chinese are going to have to deal with this on a higher level over time because one of the, one of the symptoms of a society that embraces the monoculture of Americanism is these things. And America is more than happy to export their maladies across to other countries. On the 14th of April, 400 people died because of a boat that capsized in the Mediterranean Sea between Libya and Italy. The, the boat had a number of passengers reaching 550. So the great majority of people aboard that boat died. And the 18th of April, 2015, similar things happened. Now, one of the things that I think is most important on the issue of this is to say, well, why is that a natural disaster? Because normally when people think of natural disasters, they think of earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes, uh, massive uh, downpours of rain. Why is this a natural disaster? Well, you have to remember, what are these people that are fleeing in boats in the Mediterranean Sea to reach Italy or Greece? What are they fleeing from? They are fleeing from countries where there are wars raging. And some of these wars are connected to political or religious issues. But some of it is also connected to the growth of the Sahara Desert. The Sahara Desert is growing in size. If one looks back historically, scientists will generally tell you the Sahara Desert is roughly around 4,000 to 5,000 years old. But the Sahara Desert is growing in size. 
by the growth of the Sahara Desert, you lose uh, rich soil. You are losing rich humus soil that you can grow crops in. You are losing water because water becomes evaporated. You are losing habitat for the animals that people would use for animal husbandry, that they also eat the flesh of those animals for their survival as part of a staple of their diet. The ability to grow crops, fruit, veg, you are losing these things. And because of that, Bedouins or nomadic people that practice animal husbandry are moving further inland. It's causing problems between those people and the people that live in the cities because those people that have come in do not have city skills when they're seeking employment. They are unskilled labor. And so there's hatred and mistrust that develops between those in the city and those in the countryside. Those in the city are moving out to the countryside because the cities are becoming more polluted. But those that are moving from the cities to the countryside find that in the countryside, companies that have come in from the United States and other places are using those sites for dumping grounds, for nuclear waste and other industrial wastes. So it's actually more dangerous living out there than it is in the cities. In the countryside, you also find kidnappers that realizing that someone is from the city or if someone is a tourist or if someone is foreign to the area, they kidnap them hoping to obtain some sort of ransom because it's cheaper to obtain a ransom from a kidnapped victim than it is to raise your own animals in a shrinking habitat. So this is why I classify these, what are being referred to as boat people, I classify them as part of the natural disaster because those people are going to move towards countries that do not have these conditions taking place as of yet. And as time goes on, these boat people will increase in frequency and in amount. Now there's no way to fully know how long this is going to occur and how many of these people are going to come and how many a year, but it's known that the numbers are increasing. These numbers are increasing. And with the increase of these numbers, how will cities, councils, schools, hospitals, how will they be able to bear the new numbers coming in? How will they hold up under these new pressures? How will the city transport, public transportation, how will they be able to bear with these? And with an influx of unskilled labor into a marketplace that's increasingly becoming more specialized and technologically advanced and service-based, where will these people go? Surely at some point, you're not going to be able to continue to have a massive welfare state that is supporting an unskilled labor class. At some point, this is going to have to come to an end. Often people, when they speak about our Western wealth or the wealth in the Anglosphere, they talk about how it's been so stable and everyone envies these areas. What you'll need to understand as a listener is that this is a relative oasis in the normal chaotic condition of the Anglo Anglosphere countries as well as the rest of Western Europe that is not English speaking. <clears throat> this is relatively, this is a period of relative stability compared to the vast majority of its history. 
because of the fact that this area is an intemperate climate, rainy and other things, the people have had to strive and look for natural resources. They've had to survive. You find written accounts as well as, his, as, well as uh, historical uh, foundation for the fact that people were living in caves. People were living underground in England, Canada. The actual peoples that inhabited these areas because of the fact that the area was so harsh and forbidding. These societies are driven by survival. And what happened with the Huns and other groups, the Romans, is they conquered and conquered and conquered until they ran out of space. And upon running out of space, they then expanded to new areas. Now what's happening is the United States has 300 military bases spread throughout the world. There's not much territory left to conquer. And as a people, these people that we're calling Americans, which in actuality have come from Europe, so there are these European peoples, these, these peoples, these, these Caucasoid or Caucasian peoples, they're running out of territory. And their natural instinct is to survive because they survive through an ice age and other things. So as these tourists that are coming from warmer climates come in, the natural survival mechanism of, of these people is going to come into play. How are they going to function and how are they going to deal with the browning of their country and the influx of these new people? That is the real question. How is this going to happen? And what is going to occur? Because there will be racial tensions, there will be ethnic tensions, there'll be economic burdens that have to be offset, a rise in taxes, which again is going to come down to the workers. The wealthy 1% and other people are not going to be able they're not going to be paying these taxes because they're either non-domiciled residents or they're within a certain bracket of tax where they do not receive the great burden of tax. So what is going to happen to these people? On the 15th of April, the Ambar province in Iraq has been engaged in a number of battles. Much of this is a fallout from the death of Imam Yassin ibn Jassim at Turki, the great Marja of the past. Uh, he died fairly recently of old age. He was uh, close to 90, no, he was 90 years old, some, somewhere in the, the mid-90s, I think 94 years old. A big alim, massive figure. And he had been very vocal that in all cases possible, people of Ambar province and other Muslims should resist uh, ISIS or ISIL. And when he died, the fighting intensified because the people uh, obviously did not want uh, ISIL or ISIS to take the death of the Grand Marja as a sign that they would then weaken or slacken in their resolve. So this battle is continuing. And unfortunately for the people that want to go to work or go about their business or go to the markets and buy fresh produce, unfortunately for them, these battles rage on and carry on into the residential areas. Now, why is this a natural disaster? Well, because uh, ISIL or ISIS do not know how to run a country or a government. Because when you have a cult or an ideological group, 
they don't know how to run a society. So ISIL does not know how to make sure that the power stations supply the uh, definite amount of electricity to the different residential areas and suburbs from Ramadi and Baghdad and all these areas. They, they don't know this information. So there are power failures, power cuts. They don't know how to organize the produce and the livestock and the agricultural responsibilities so that food reaches the different areas. So what happens? You're having people starve. They've tried to do some type of bizarre land redistribution situation, which is almost exactly similar to what Vladimir Ilyanich Lenin did. And so what happens? People are fighting over land. The crops are laying fallow. You're having crop failures. You're having droughts. You're having famines. Because people that know nothing about the mechanics of government kill the people who do know about the mechanics of government and then take over with a pie-in-the-sky theology and try to implement this over people who do not understand what's happening and their daily staple is no longer being fulfilled. So you have bread lines, and I cannot tell you how important uh, bread is in the life of an Arab. Bread, to most food, Arab food, is not possible to have without bread. It's just not. And so this is a situation where Arabs face, face a problem of not having bread with their food. Bread is also, and for many Arabs, bread is, is a source of calcium because the flour is very rich. So it's a source of calcium. And so you'll have children now that will have uh, bone marrow deficiencies. Um, the lack of milk, of raw cow's milk. So people switch to powdered, which is nowhere near the value of raw cow's milk, which will then lead to vitamin D deficiencies, which can mean more children being born blind, uh, cleft palate, and uh, other, other um, just terrible consequences. So this is a natural disaster as well, as well, because failure to use the proper channels of government and an inability to use the mechanics of government, demolishing and bringing government implementation, executing laws, inability to do this is what leads to natural disasters because you are not managing a society accurately. Sometimes we don't realize how fragile government can be and how difficult a process it is to run a society, to see that when shipments arrive in the country that they get to their locations that the grocery stores that we go to are fully stocked, that the convenience stores that we visit have plenty of gasoline for us to put in our cars, that when we go to buy paper from the stationery shop or printer cartridges, that they're in stock. This whole thing seems invincible, but we don't realize if a government came in that was inefficient or dysfunctional, like ISIL or ISIS, that these things would come to an end or be severely retarded. Failure to understand the mechanics of government and inexperience in using them leads precisely to these type of delays and those delays lead to natural disasters and those natural disasters lead to a large scale loss of human lives. The final two points I want to mention are on the, on April, the 24th of April and 25th of April. On the 24th of April, a 6.4 magnitude earthquake 
struck on the South Island of New Zealand. And on the 25th of April, a 7.9 earthquake struck Nepal with the epicenter between Kathmandu and Pokhara and close to 7,000 people in this 25th of April quake died. As we see, earthquakes are becoming more frequent. And these earthquakes are a harbinger of the future. Now we need to make a distinction between the how and whys of earthquakes. How do earthquakes happen? Earthquakes happen because of the fact that this planet is made up of a series of puzzle pieces that are known as plate tectonic plates. And these plate tectonic plates uh, often move together or one goes on top of the other or one goes under the other or they slam together and push upwards. Uh, this leads to these earthquakes. Now some of the main causes for these plate tectonic movements can be uh, magma that's under the plates being laid because the earth has magma that's under it, lava flows and other things that are under it. Mountains act as massive blackheads and pimples. And sometimes when that stress must be relieved, you have volcanic eruptions, which are the equivalent of squeezing a zit or a pimple or a blackhead and, ex and expelling the pussy materials therefrom, which in this case, the pussy materials would be uh, pumice, volcanic ash, or lava. Earthquakes act as stress relief for the pressure of the other plates constantly moving together, the Earth's rotation, the movement of the oceans and the planets, uh, the planets, excuse me, these are a response to those things. These are the hows. This is the mechanics of how. Now, you don't get warning other than a few hours based upon Richter scale calculations, which again is coming from the United States because they do the most studies on earthquakes. You don't get more than a few hours notice of when a quake happens. Places where they should happen more frequently, they don't, ha they don't always happen. Places where they should be infrequent, it doesn't, it's not always like that. And no one can always figure out why. So we're going to go now from the hows, which was a brief explanation, to the why. Why? <clears throat> earthquakes are why earthquakes occur. This is the why. Earthquakes occur as for three reasons. One is disobedience of a nation and wickedness. Because Omar al-Khattab, the second Khalifa, he said of this matter when an earthquake, a small earthquake struck Al-Madinah. He stood on the mimbar and called an emergency meeting and told the people, if you will not repent from your sins and you continue on your sin, I will step down from this post because I will not be in a position where people will not repent and they bring Allah's judgment and the people in great numbers repented. This is understood that earthquakes are a sign in terms of why, of punishment, because of increased wickedness or brazen arrogance on the part of a group of people or a nation, but they are not a reward. If you look historically how Allah has dealt with, the, with humanity, 
Allah has never sent an earthquake as a reward for righteousness. So this is the first reason of why. The second reason is earthquakes are a sign of the impending nature of the day of resurrection. They're a sign of the impending nature of the day of judgment. So the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he was asked what are some of the signs of the day of resurrection, he didn't mention earthquakes themselves. He said the Zalazil Azima in the Hadith in Sahih al Jamia, he said great or immense earthquakes of many times. Great or immense earthquakes of many times. So these immense earthquakes, these are what he's referring to. And right after that, he referred to chasaf. Chasaf are where the earth opens up or there are landslides. So these things have been occurring with increased frequency. As long as we've been keeping records, there will be cases where calamities will strike, where there will be an earthquake or there will be a landslide. But we are now getting more information where earthquakes and landslides are happening with increasing frequency, one after the other, immediately. Places that we thought are perfectly safe and sound for us, we now look outside. People in Nepal sleeping outside because they're scared to sleep indoors because they believe an earthquake and aftershock may come and bring the whole building down and kill everyone. They are terrified of this. And rightly, they, they, they should be because of the magnitude of the earthquake. The third reason is this earthquakes are a representation of the fact that the earth is speaking to Allah. If someone looks in Surah Zilzal, where Allah the Exalted has said, when the earth shakes, right? This entire surah talks about the fact that Allah will make it possible. He will inspire. He will make the earth to speak. And this is one of the many ways that the earth speaks. Now, this way of the earth speaking, so then earthquakes, another way they can be seen is the earth's rebellion against man's rebellion. The earth's refusal to accept man's rebellion. The earth refuses to accept these. So because of this, the earth's way of striking back is these earthquakes. I want us to think about something that may be of some importance. Every day when we get up, we plant our feet on firm ground. And when we plant our feet on this seemingly firm ground, we might walk to the bathroom, we relieve ourselves, we wash our hands, we carry out our other obligations, we come out, we go downstairs or we go upstairs and we eat in the kitchen, we eat our breakfast, we begin our day. We then go to work or we drive to our next location. We carry out our daily errands, we come back. We do all of these things with a sort of assumption in our minds. We do all these things with a sort of assumption in our minds that the earth under our feet will not give way. We do all these things with the assumption that the 
dirt and ground under our feet is solid, unmoving, stationary, permanent, not realizing that not far below, relatively speaking, in geological terms, are rivers of magma, thousands of degrees in heat, lava waiting to bust to the surface, plate tectonic plates grinding against each other, and we do not know when we may witness this in our lifetime, in our area. We don't know when the ground may decide to start, to start speaking to us. We only know how and we only know why. But we have no record of when. Sailors, if anyone has ever been on a boat or been a fisherman for any period of time. I, was, I, I did fisherman work for uh, six months or so. The happiness that one has when reaching dry land and the land does not rock back and forth to see a horizon that has trees and not just water. The euphoria that one feels when reaching high land is, or dry land is unreal. If anyone's ever flown and then the plane touches down after having been in the air for hours at a time, the relief that someone feels to be able to walk upon dry land is, is a feeling that can't be described. The belief that now I'm safer because I'm on terra firma, firm earth. Imagine if that belief was shaken if it was taken from us. Imagine if that belief was challenged. This belief of terra firma. Every time there is a major earthquake, that challenges that belief of terra firma. That is what that challenge represents. Every time there's a quake, you're challenged. Are you on firm earth? Are you safe? Are you guaranteed safety more on terra firma than you are on the sea, than you are in the air? Are you somehow, because you're on land, more safe from Allah's wrath than you are on land? You will often see people when they go on flights or if they're on uh, ships where they're sailors or they're doing fishing, though people that you would not consider at any point in their lives as being faithful at all to any, anything, they might whisper a little prayer. They'll lower their head reverentially. Those that claim they don't believe in anything will grip the seat or grip the armrests and tighten their hands. You can see their knuckles whitening because they somehow believe that by leaving from firm terra firma into the sky or onto a boat, that they're somehow more in danger. But aren't we just as much in danger on firm land? Imagine what it would be like if people had that same attitude while driving on the road, while on the bus, while on the train. What would that do to our lives? To our lives? How would that change us? What would that do to the human psyche? Would traffic be slow? Would people be 
Would people be more accepting of traffic jams? Would people be happier to deal with inconveniences? What would happen to us? That's the real question. So I would say in ending this all off that the natural disasters that are happening around us, some of us for now are safe from the wider impact of these natural disasters. We're safe from the wider impact because we're insulated because of either where we live, our proximity to fresh fruit and produce, good family, lush, safe, lush and fertile soil. We're safe from these calamities for now, for now. But make no mistake and rest assured that a time will come that these calamities will embrace all of those around the globe and those that have not braced themselves will find themselves in perhaps a more pitiable situation than those currently bearing these calamities. We seek Allah's refuge in being ill-prepared for calamities and tribulations and we ask that he protect us from any affairs that may harm us in the future. We ask that he forgive our sins. We ask that he make us better believers than when we started. And we ask that he make us among those who stand faithfully on his plan. And so we say, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. إنه غفور الرحيم يرحم الرحيمين ولا يدعي إن الله والسلام عليكم No clarity about reality see more at no.com